Good morning to all of you. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. My name is Amy Winkle. I am the priest in charge in this uh, season we're currently in where Jenny is on maternity leave. Um, and also just wanted to give you a quick update since this is kind of our last official Sunday um, of, the, of the year. Just to give you a quick update to say that um, there is um, that there are going to be more details coming in January related to the rector search. Our vestry has been working on a very thoughtful and thorough process around that search, and we look forward to sharing that more with you um, in the coming days. So, just wanted to mention that to you as we kind of finish out this this year um, and look toward 2023. So, um, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, so we are. Uh, concluding our Advent journey, so to speak, not really, but leading up to Christmas Eve, um, we've been on a journey together, and we've been in the book of Isaiah, so we're going to continue that today, um, and I'm looking forward to to sharing um, this text with you. This text um, is different from some of the other ones that we've looked at these these prior weeks. Um, If you remember, kind of as we've walked through this Isaiah journey that we've been on, a lot of it has been about the future hope, about looking forward to the restoration um, that is to come. Um, or like last week, looking at what it was going to look like when the, the exiles returned from, um, from Babylon. Today, um, it's more, this, this passage is a little bit different. This text puts us right in the, the midst of their current reality, um, of where Israel is um, in Isaiah's time. Um, And we'll look at it together. We're going to be in chapter 7 of Isaiah, chapter 7, starting in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, huh, interesting, huh? <laughs> we read that, that text, and some of it sounds familiar to us, and we're going to talk about that. But all the stuff around it, it's like, what, what's happening here? Like, what's going on? Um, it, feels, it feels confusing when we first start to look at it. So I want to put it in some context for us. Um, as we've talked about throughout our study of Isaiah, these texts that we've been looking at are all within the th- first third of the book. So the first part of Isaiah before um, Israel goes into exile. But what's happening is Isaiah, the prophet, is coming to the king and to the people and saying, like, warning, warning, like, repent. The time is to repent so that actually you don't have to go into exile. If you're willing to repent and get get yourselves and, and your relationship right with God and with each other, then this can all be avoided. 
Um, and so that's kind of what is the context for what's happening here is that um, Isaiah, and actually the Lord himself, is coming to Ahaz. And Ahaz, Ahaz is a king of, of Judah, so of the southern kingdom. Remember we talked about how Israel has split into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, um, and Ahaz is one of the kings of the southern kingdom. And what he is faced with at this particular moment is the, he's basically gripped in fear. Because what he sees is the northern kingdom and Syria coming together and threatening to invade Judah. Um, and so he's looking at, at like this, this scenario, and he's like, this is not good, and we got to come up with a plan. Now, his plan is to go to Assyria, a different nation, that's stronger, to look to them to say, can you help us out? Can you give us the, like, the, fire, the, the firepower, so to speak, military power, to, to help us, um, to kind of save us, basically, to protect us from these other invaders. And this is not a good plan, because if you know, who is the one who comes in and takes out the northern kingdom? Assyria, and also threatens Judah in the future. So basically, Yahweh and Isaiah are coming to Ahaz and saying, this is not a good plan. This is not what you should be doing. Um, there's, a, there's another way to go about this. And in the preceding, preceding verses, what, what Yahweh is saying to Ahaz is, I am your protector. You do not need an outside protector. You do not need to, like, make covenant or make, um, you know, arrangements with Assyria. Like, kind of make a deal with the devil, so to speak. You don't need to do that. You need to trust in me. I am, I am your protector. Um, and basically, God is saying, you're concerned about this. You're concerned about these two weaker powers. And I'm telling you that before they even get a chance to come in and, and destroy you, they will be destroyed. And, and he's saying, what, what you're worried about will not stand. So then when we get into verse 10, what God does is he goes, says, I'm going to take it a step further. Not only am I saying, I'm going to protect you and you can trust me. I'm also going to give you a sign. Some kind of sign that shows that I'm serious, that I can be trusted. Like, I get it. It's hard to see sometimes. Like, it's hard to know how to trust. But I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a sign. All you have to do is just ask. And it could be anything from the deepest of the deeps to the highest of the heights. Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you as a sign. So Ahaz has a choice to make. Is he going to choose to stay in fear and operate out of that place of fear? Or is he going to look to what the Lord has said and, and choose faith? Choose to trust in what God is, is saying to him. So his response to Yahweh sounds like faith, but actually it's buried in fear. So he says, I will not ask for a sign, even though the Lord has told him to. I will not put God to the test. And for Ahaz, this is just another instance in a long line of him turning his back on the Lord, of not trusting, of choosing his own way. This is not just like an isolated incident. This is like has happened time and time and time again. And so we see Isaiah's response to Ahaz as showing what's really in Ahaz's heart, that Ahaz is actually testing the patience of God with his response. And so Isaiah says, well, the Lord's just going to give you a sign anyway, even if you don't ask for it. He's going to go ahead and just give you one. And this sign is of a young woman 
who is pregnant with a son. And that child has the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, throughout this um, particular chapter, and even into the next chapter, there are a lot of names that are happening of children. And so, um, like, like Isaiah brings with him his son that has a certain name and other things. So, like, so basically what this is saying to him is, this is the sign that I am with you. That there's a, there's a son, there's a, there's a baby here that has the name Emmanuel that's telling you that God is with you. This baby, this son, is the sign for him that God has not left him even though Ahaz refuses to turn toward God, even though Ahaz decides to look toward the stronger military power of Assyria instead of, of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So it would be so much easier to want to turn to military might, to the stronger power, and than to look toward a young woman and a child. Like, do you see the power differential there? Of like, he's saying the sign here for you is, is, is a baby. <laughs> and Ahaz is like, no, no, I want the army. Like, you know, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, why would you not want the army? Why would you look to a baby as a sign of hope? But this is just evidence of the upside-down kingdom of God that we know of, that that the kingdom of God just works differently than the world does. And so what God is trying to say to Ahaz is that this, this thing that you're afraid of is not something that you need to fear. And out of your fear you're about to make a really big mistake. Aligning with Assyria is not going to solve your problem. It's actually going to make it worse. But it's easier to trust in the thing that we can see, right? It's easier to just say, well, this is what, this is just the way that the world works. The way that the world works is to put my trust in, in a, a bigger power, in a, in a stronger power than me, rather than put my trust in a young woman and a baby. What good does that do? What good does a baby do? What good can come of that? And so Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, these powers that you're afraid of are shifting quickly. They're not going to be around for much longer. You think that they're strong now, but really they are weak. The word of the Lord is sure, and the kingdom of God is what will not fade. And so that's where your true trust should lie. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this, It means to entrust one's security and future to the attentiveness of Yahweh, to count God's attentiveness as adequate and sure, thereby making panic and anxiety and, or foolishness unnecessary and inappropriate. It is to know oneself safe in risk because of an attending other whose resources are mobilized and whose commitments are unfailing. It is to place oneself into the reliable care of another. I love that word, reliable care of another. So this is what's happening in the text of Isaiah. Um, But we know that that this prophecy of Isaiah, these words of Isaiah, don't just live here in in this book, but but that we see them again, right? They, They come again, that they're not just for this time, they are for this moment, but then they're also meant... Um, for a future time that's coming as well. And so that we see them again in Matthew, in our gospel reading um, for today. So in Matthew 1, we see um, another moment of choice between fear and faith. Another son of David who is faced with a decision about whether to trust in the faithfulness of Israel's God. 
So let's go back and look at Matthew 1 again that we read earlier. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife and had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. So this is the other response. This is the anti-Ahaz response, so to speak. Um, We see another son of David who's on the scene, who again is faced with a choice, who again is in a scary situation. So Joseph is living in Israel, uh, in Judah at the time, Judea, um, under Roman occupation. But also living under particular laws and understanding. And to find out that his future wife, this woman who he has not um, officially come, you know, come, to, come together with yet, is pregnant. And so he has a choice to make. The easy choice, so to speak, easy choice out of fear would be to just send her away and not and and divorce her quietly so that it doesn't necessarily like mean she is ostracized um, publicly but it still would be an she still would be ostracized there still would be consequences to that but it would be her consequences to bear not his and so he's he's faced with this decision what do I choose to do am I going to choose to like just let her go quietly or when the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, do not be afraid, but instead go ahead and marry her, then the implications and the, and the consequences become his as well. There is like some, this is going to alter his life as well. He also has to fear social ostracization, a loss of livelihood or well-being, a loss of social connection potentially. But the text tells us that he is a righteous man. And so he wants to do the right thing. So he is also faced with a choice. Will he let fear rule the day and do what makes sense on the surface? Like he's kind of reasoned it out, right? Like what makes the most sense in this situation? What would be best for me but also best for for Mary? What makes sense for us? Or will he choose to trust God even if it seems like a crazy idea? even if it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and could potentially cost him his livelihood or everything. Will he trust this reality of Emmanuel? And so the same promise that had come to Ahaz to say, God is with you, if only you will just see him and trust him. We see this same thing coming now to Joseph to say, if you will only just see him and trust him, that God is actually with you 
and that you can do as he is asking you to do. And so what we see Joseph do is choose faith. Now, here's what I want to say about faith. (laughs) If we set up some kind of like dichotomy or, or strict dichotomy between fear and faith, I think we're not doing ourselves justice. To think that fear is the absence, I'm sorry, that faith is the absence of fear is just plain wrong. Do we think that when Joseph said yes to the angel and decided to marry Joseph, that all of a sudden his fear just went away? I don't think so, because he's, a, he's a, like a normal person, right? And those steps of faith that God was asking him to take didn't just stop with him saying yes to marrying Mary, but he, they continued throughout his life. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph's life, but we know that he ended up, like, they ended up having a baby in Bethlehem, not necessarily planned at that particular time. They ended up having to, like, flee to Egypt. He ended up spending part of his life in Egypt. That he hadn't planned as well. And yet he continues to follow the voice of the Lord. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't fear there. It means that he just did it anyway. That he continued to follow even when fear was present. When, when my husband and I decided to um, quit our jobs and move to England for a year, <laughs> that was fun, um, I remember us standing in our kitchen that day trying to make that, or like when it, we first had that opportunity come before us of like, hey, we could move to England for a year. And we both were like, that is crazy. Like, why would we do that? We were, it was like a terrible housing market. Like, how, we're not, how are we going to sell our house? We're going to quit our jobs. What are we going to do? And so we just were kind of like, this is just dumb. Like, we're not going to do this. Um, and then about a month later, we, I can't remember which one of us brought it up in conversation, but we just said, you know what? I just, I can't stop thinking about that. And the, and the other one was like, I know, I can't either. Like, the Lord just kind of kept putting it in front of us. So at the time, as we were getting ready to leave, I was reading this book um, by John Ortberg called um, If You, if you Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. <laughs> And he has the funniest titles to his books, but they're really good. Um, And one of the things he said in this particular book was um, that for some people, like, taking a risk or, like, taking that, you know, jump of faith is kind of, is easy. Like, it's sort of built into their personality. For others of us, it's very scary. And I'm one of those. It's very scary. Like, I I would rather be secure. Like, I would rather know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, And so he said, for those folks, it's, uh, it's what he called trembling but trusting. And I was like, amen. <laughs> yes. Trembling but trusting. And that's what that whole process of moving to England looked like for us, was this idea of, and I even made it my screensaver on my computer because I was just like, I need to be reminded of this. That faith is not the absence of fear, but it's taking the step of faith anyway. And I remember us being, having been there for about a month in, in, uh, in England for about a month, and we were faced with some other kind of, you know, decision. And I remember saying to my husband, oh, this wasn't just one step, was it? <laughs> there are more steps of faith to come after. And he was like, yes, yes. But the goodness of God in the midst of that, that this is the reality of the kingdom, is that God is with us. Even when we're afraid, even when we're not sure that, you know, how we're going to take that step of faith, what he's asking us to do, that's the reality, is that we take it anyway, because we trust him 
It's what Mary did. It's what Joseph did. All of us in this room are called to trust God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not the, the way that the world would necessarily do it. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And when we continue reading through chapter 11, we, we see like the writer just list out all of these different, like what we would consider heroes of the faith, what faith looked like for them. Um, for Abel, it looked like offering the right sacrifices, um, the right gift offerings. For Noah, it looked like building a boat. For Abraham, it looked like moving away to a new, a new place, away from his family. For each one of these particular uh, biblical heroes, so to speak, um, their faith, their step of faith looked different, and yet it was unique to who they were and what God was asking them to do. But they found God to be faithful in the midst of it. And so I encourage you this week, um, as you have time, or if, you, or if you're meeting with your small groups this week, to spend some time in Hebrews 11, to look at what our, the, our forefathers and foremothers in the faith how they stepped out in faith, what faith looked like for them, that it didn't make sense a lot of the time, that it looked like a virgin and a baby more than a commanding army. It looked like a carpenter from Nazareth rather than a powerful king of Israel. It looked like ordinary people following God step by step by step, even when they were afraid. And then I encourage you to look at your own life with God. And if all of it makes sense to you, it may be time to reevaluate. And ask God where he's calling you to step out and move forward in faith, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it may look a little crazy. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do something crazy or kind of out of the box just for the sake of it. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm asking is for an honest heart conversation between you and the Lord and those who are close to you to say, how may God be calling me out? How might he be asking me to take a step of faith with him in such a way that gives witness to this upside-down kingdom? Because as the body of Christ, if all we're concerned about is like the up and to the right, like our world is telling us is what we're supposed to be like yearning for or looking for, we're going to miss the upside-down kingdom of God. Because the reality is that God doesn't come in the mighty army. He comes in the baby. And that's where he wants us to look. He wants us to have eyes to see where he's working. And it doesn't always make sense, but it does to him. And that's where our faith comes in. It takes walking with the Lord and surrendering to him the way that Joseph did. Joseph didn't know what all he was saying yes to, but he trusted and he knew the Lord. It takes time and trust, knowing that the Lord is good and that he is trustworthy. And so my invitation for all of us today as we enter into this Christmas season, as we kind of move through this last week looking toward Christmas, that we do so with open hearts and with a deep and abiding trust that Jesus is with us, and therefore, we have nothing to fear. We get to look toward the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And with that, we get to ask God 
what is it that you have for me? What is it that you want from me? How can I move into deeper trust with you? May it be so, Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the examples who've gone before us, who show us what trusting in you look like. That even when it doesn't make sense or even when we feel a sense of fear, that you are still with us and that you walk with us every step of the way. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would just give us hearts that want to follow you. Hearts that want to be with you. Lives that say we're about the kingdom of God. We are citizens of your kingdom. And so, God, I pray for each one of us where we are today, God, that you would, you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to show us what faith looks like, what trust looks like. And I pray, Lord, as we approach Christmas, God, that you would continue just to prick our hearts, to make us ready for the coming of the King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.